no, no, no. And eventually, you know, he keeps closing doors. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to just do my own thing. And he just slowly but surely closes the doors on you to where you really only have one legitimate option. But you still have the choice. You can still go and do your own thing. You struggle through life. Or you can just get in God's will and do what he wants to do. Because he's going to do it whether you, it's going to get done whether you do it or not. Somebody else will do it and take it, take your spot. But he wants you to do it for a reason. And he wants to give you what you want. But you have to be doing his will to get what's best. And he always, he never asks you to do something for no reason. It's going to help you in the end, whether it builds character, whether it prepares you for something. Sometimes there are things you don't want to do that you don't even realize that it sets you up, whether it gives you connections or teaches you something or you, you just you shake the right hand that will set you up for the rest, rest of your life for something that you didn't even know. And it was doing something you didn't want to do. And, you know, I'm terrible with that because I ignore God constantly. I'm constantly like, no, no, God, no, I got this. Just, just go away. And so he routinely likes to smack me around a little bit to get me going the right way. And he'll do it. He will do it. He, he is not afraid to smack you around a little bit. But you have to make the decision to do what you have to do. And so we're going to read Jonah. And I'm going to telegraph it that... Jonah doesn't want to do what he wants to do. We all know the story for the most part, but there will be details in here that most people gloss over and they don't look at because sometimes they don't know. They don't just, just don't know what's going on. But we're going to read, um, we're actually going to read both two chapters today. So it's a little bit, but uh, it's a short book. But so we're going to start in Jonah chapter one, verse one. And it goes. Now the Lord, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness is come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Just as a geography lesson, Nineveh is in northern Iraq. It's like 300 miles to the west, uh, to the east of, of where Jonah is in the northern kingdom of Israel. And Tarshish is about a thousand miles to the west. So he went the exact opposite direction. God said, get up, go to Nineveh. He got up and went the wrong way. But the Lord sent out a great wind, this is four, into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. When the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and lay there and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What means you? O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said unto him, Oh, they said, Everyone, 
I can hear myself way too much, and it is killing me. Uh, and they said, everyone to the fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. That is thine occupation. What is thine occupation, and whence comes you? What is thy country, and what people art you? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which has made the sea and the dry land. And when they were with the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea is wroth, and was temperest. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought, and the tempest against them. Therefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it, it pleases thee. So they took up Jonas, uh, Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we all kind of know the story. We know what happened. You know, Jonah goes the wrong way. There's a sea. He goes on. They said, who are you? He goes, I believe. You know, and who do you worship? Who's your God? They said, I believe in the living God. I believe in Yahweh, Jehovah of Israel. And they panicked. They were upset, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to kill him because they knew God is a just God. And so blood would be on their hands. So they prayed to God first, you know, let not his innocent blood be on our hands before they were able to do it. Now, to understand why Jonah, Jonah's literally willing to die here rather than go to Nineveh. Think about that. He's willing to die. He could have just said, turn around, go back the other way, and it probably would have been fine. But Jonah's willing to die rather than to go to Nineveh. Why? I mean, is he afraid of public speaking? He's a prophet. That's his job, is public speaking. It's because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. The Assyrian Empire at this time had basically been terrorizing Israel for the better part of 150 years. They've been conquering parts of it. They've been at war with them. Uh, Jonah hates the Assyrians. He hates them. He doesn't want to go there because... This is the enemy, and God is telling him to go there and get them saved. He's saying, go to the people that you wish death upon and get them saved. Now, the reason for this is if you read further, and we're not going to go there today, but if you read further is that evidently the, the, the series were so evil that, I mean, the, the, the tales of what they've done give you nightmares. I mean, everything from roasting people alive to skinning people alive to just, it was terrible. They literally, the king sat on a, on a throne that was 
that was covered with the skins of a king that he, that he had killed in battle. Had him skinned and had him make a throne out of the guy's skin so that he could sit on it. That's the type of people we're dealing with here. Uh, and Jonah knew that. Jonah didn't lie. For 150 years, longer than Jonah, twice, two, three times Jonah's life, these people have been terrorizing the northern kingdom. They have done everything they could to fight against them. But see, the thing is, is when you're evil, when you're doing the wrong thing, you will cause your own destruction. You just will. America right now is at a crossroads. We can go one of two ways. America still, even with all of the faults, the freest, the greatest country that's ever existed, but we're at a crossroads. You can continue to run as fast as you can towards the cliff, or you can do the right thing. Nineveh evidently had that issue because in 40 days, if they did not turn and at least a portion of the people turn and start doing the right thing, they were going to come to utter destruction in 40 days. Jonah knew that, and Jonah said, wait a minute. So God, you're telling me, you want me to go to the people that have been terrorizing us for 150 years because in 40 days they're going to cease to exist? And you want me to get them saved so that they'll continue to exist and continue to terrorize us? And God basically said, yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm not done with them yet. The craziest part is God uses, whether you do right or wrong, God uses you. He was using the Assyrians to punish Israel. Israel was doing the wrong thing. They were doing child sacrifices. They were uh, worshiping just all kinds of Astaroth and, and doing all kinds of different things they were not supposed to do. They were building temples all across. Of course, God said there's to be one temple. And if there's no, and if it's not on Mount Moriah, then it's to be nowhere. They were building temples everywhere. They were, they were going into the temples and sacrificing you know, pigs and stuff, which are not clean animals, and it's claiming they're doing it in the name of God. The northern kingdom and the south, they both, but Israel was doing wrong. And God told them in Leviticus, if you do wrong, you'll be punished. Well, his instrument of punishment was the Assyrians. But the Assyrians were content with destroying themselves to their own wickedness. And God said, no, I need you for a little longer. So he told Jonah to save them. So this is a situation where when people say, well, God, you know, God only wants to do the right thing. He does only want to do the right thing, but he'll use the wrong person to do the right thing. If you're not going to do it willingly, he'll drag you kicking and screaming to it. And knowing all of this, Jonah does not want to do it. It's not for a lack of faith in God. It's not for a lack of faith in God. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that if he goes in in there and preaches, somebody's going to get saved. And he does not want that. He's actually sitting there going, I want these people to go to hell. And if I preach, they're going to get saved. And so I'd rather not preach. Not because he doesn't have enough faith in God, but because he has faith in God. He knows God's character. He knows that it's not God's will that anybody perishes. And, I mean, we do that today where we'll, we'll decide we want to do something. We, we 
we just want to do this one thing. And it's like every door closes every time. There's just no way to do it. You're like, I can see it. I'm skilled in that area. I can, I can do it if they would just let me. But nobody will let you. They always have a whatever it is. Oh, you're too young or you're too old or this or that. Always will come up with something. And so you do nothing. Well, doing nothing is just as bad as doing the wrong thing. It's still disobedience. And to be honest with you, sometimes the best thing you can do is to just pray about it. Even if you're, and this is, and this is, I have a disagreement with several Baptist preachers. They'll tell you, you know, you're supposed to be reverent when you pray to God. You're supposed to, yes, you're supposed to have faith in God, be reverent to God. You're supposed to pray back to him his goodness. But some of my prayers sound a lot more like screaming matches sometimes. I mean, I'll get loud with God sometimes because I just don't understand. I just don't. It's my heart is wrenching. And the only thing I can do is to cry out and just scream, you know, what, what's going on? Just, just show me. Just what's going on, please. I want everybody to turn to Psalm 77. Everybody turn to Psalm 77. Because this is an example of just such a thing. Why I believe that I am correct, that it is okay to be, to be angry, to scream, but as long as you do it, you're not screaming at God because you don't think he exists. You're not screaming at God because he doesn't care about you. You're screaming at God because you know he exists and you can't understand why he's silent. You can't understand. And it's okay to be that way. Psalm 77 says, starting in one, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave and he gave ear unto me. Meaning he heard, I cried and he heard. And the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holds mine eyes awaking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise fail forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his tender mercy? And I said this in my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy works and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that does wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. For thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee, and they were afraid. The depths also were, ter were trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. 
The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lighted the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path is the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou ledst thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Anytime you see in the Bible the word the sea, it means chaos or an unknowable concept. Because we, as much as we want to know to this day, the most unknown thing in the, in the world is the depths of the seas. We don't know what's in there. So God is unknowable. See, he is sitting and he's crying. He says he's, he's complaining. He uses the word complaining. He's complaining to God every night. He's complaining. He's crying. He's pouring out his heart. He, and God is silent, completely, deadly silent. Mm -hmm. But he says he remembers his God. And he says, well, has God, he questions for a second, has God forgot to be gracious and merciful? No. No, he, his character is that he is always gracious. He is always merciful. This is here for a reason. And most of the time it's here to teach you something. So what he does is he recalls in his mind the great things that have done, the better times, times he knew God's hand was in it. And not just to, to, to comfort himself, but to search, to see, well, am I missing something? The best thing that a Christian can do is to examine yourself. If you're in a season, in a desert season of your life where you're not hearing anything, maybe you need to look inside and say, well, what is going on? Am I truly learning from the past? so that I can make the proper step going forward. And we see with the psalm, it's okay. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be upset with God. Somebody loses a child. Somebody loses a, 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 a partner. It's okay to be upset with God because we're not God. We can't understand. We can't grasp the gravity of it. You know, when Moses... When Moses asks God over and over again, let me see your face. Let me see your face just one time. He's asking to see his face, but the reason why is because he's wanting to understand. He's seeing things happening, and he's going, if I can just see you, I can understand what you are, what you're, what, what you're about. And I can have an understanding of who you are if I can see you. And God's saying, you can't. Even if I showed myself to you, I am so other. I'm so, he's so pure and so good, we couldn't comprehend what we were even seeing. Yeah. When Isaiah stands before, in a vision, stands before the throne of God, he doesn't even see God. The cherubs cover God so that he can't even see him. He can only see the presence of the cherubs. And Isaiah's response was, I feel like I'm going to melt. I feel like my soul itself is going to melt into nothingness because of the power of the moment of being in front of God. God is so other, we can't comprehend. We do the best we can. We use words that will never fully describe who and what God is. But it's the best we can do because we, we are flawed, and he's okay with that. He's okay with you being flawed. If he wanted you to be perfect, he would have made you perfect. But he wants you to learn. He wants God is building a family. And the greatest thing about a family is not that you force your wife or your husband to love you. It's that they willingly Amen. love you. Amen. 
It's that they, they, they've thought about it. They have options. They have a choice to make. And they've decided, even when it's tough, they're going to love you. They're going to be with you. Even when they don't feel the love, they're going to stand by you. And that's the ultimate showing of love. In Greek, of the seven or five words that refer to love, three of them are verbs, meaning it's something that somebody's doing, an action that's being taken place. And most of them, it's something you set out to do. So it's not an actual work. It's not like something you, oh, I picked you flowers. That means I love you. No, the action of picking flowers is not love. It's the intention that sets you out in a thought where you intended to do the right thing by the person. God is love because he always intends our best in every situation. He never intends for our destruction. He never intends for us to have bad. He allows it because we have the freedom not to follow his will. We have bad moments because we do the wrong thing or because we are beholden to other people who do the wrong thing. Constantly people will say, one of the greatest arguments that I would used to go to Malone College with a friend and we would actually debate atheists in, in their uh, cafeteria. And one of the most common things is, well, if God is great and God is loved, then why is there sin? That's everybody's, why is there sin? Because if God forced everybody, and what I finally got to is I'd say, okay, fine, then you, if God forced you to love him and to always do the right thing and you could never do what you wanted, you always did the right thing, you'd follow God, wouldn't you? No, of course he wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. Well, what's the, they would hate that God, the God that forced you to do the thing no matter what you wanted to do. You'd never, you would never love that God. You would never, that's especially an atheist who want, who's saying there's already too many rules. I would not be out from God's rules. Well, well, think, imagine if you couldn't, if God forced you. I mean, he stood by, you're an infinite, like anybody who's ever a kid who hasn't eaten their vegetables or whatever, how torturous it is. As my parents were the type to where they would sit there, we'd sit an hour waiting. They would just sit there and continue to talk. And just wait and wait. And eventually you're like, okay, fine. Here you go. While that's good for the kid, that there that itself, that doesn't mean the kid gets up and goes, you know what? I really love them that they made me sit around for 90 minutes until I ate that broccoli. I love them so much more now. <laughs> no, it's in hindsight, you look back and you say, you know what? They did the right thing. They had my intention, my best intention at heart. And now that I look back on it, I know that they did. I can understand and respect it from a position of understanding. And I can choose to love my parents more than I do naturally. You have an ingrown, it's, just, it's, a, it's because you depended on your parents for so long. You have this natural want to love them. But as any teenager, as any 20-something will tell you, sometimes it's really tough. It is really, really tough. But when you get, you'll get to a point, even somebody whose parents were alcoholics, they were not very good parents. You'll get to a point where you'll, think, you'll understand that they're human too. They make, this, they make mistakes. And you'll love them through the mistakes. In spite of mistakes, you'll love them anyways. That's what God does for us. He loves us in spite of, through. He sees all of the cracks and he says those cracks are what make you an individual. And I love you for that. 
Now we're going to continue in Jonah, and we're going to read the second verse, the second chapter, which nobody reads. I was in in a church for 22 years, and I remember this sermon preached probably a hundred times. No one ever read the second chapter. The second chapter is honestly the most important chapter because this brings together everything I've talked about, that it's okay. Jonah didn't go the opposite way because he was scared, because he was, he was frustrated. He went the other way because he knew who God was. Amen. Amen. The second chapter, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, meaning in the midst of chaos, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. Meaning he was when he is in there, he thought he was dead, and he thought God had literally left him. He says, The waters can pass me into the soul. The depth closed me around about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that, that though I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. So in the midst of the belly, when he thought he was dead, he was in the darkest place, it's compared to hell. Christ says, as Jonah was in the belly for three days, and it was hell for him, I will die and go to hell for you so that I can come back and conquer hell, conquer the grave. And Jonah, in the midst of his time, he was not scared. He knew that God was mercy, and that if he preached, the people he hated the most would get saved. And he was afraid, and he was upset. But when he was in the in the darkest moment, on, on death's door, he sat up and he prayed, and he said, God, I knew you were great all along. Your mercy never fails. And he says that, that you know, the, the, those who lie and are worried about vanity... They, they can't see God's mercy. And he says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay that I vow, because salvation is of the Lord. If you ever, wanna, if you ever have a, a, a Hebrew version of that, salvation of the Lord is three parts in the Hebrew word. Yah-ho-shua. What was Jesus' name in Hebrew? Yehoshua. Yah, God is salvation. So he cried from the, from the belly of the well, 
Jesus' name without even knowing that Jesus would come. He had faith. He knew that in this life there was one salvation. God is salvation. Yah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. He wants your best in everything. And he wants you to feel secure in knowing that he has your best in mind. You can still fall. You can still sin. You still have cracks. The water will still seep through because, because you are not complete in and of yourself. But God loves you and you can have security in knowing his mercy is new every single morning. And just as we can know that we are in the safest country because of the brave men and women who do what they don't want to do, who go to places they don't want to be and sacrifice a part of themselves in a way they don't want to, but they do it willingly because they are of the best among us. So God, in his perfect mercy, was willing to go to hell for you. He was willing to give you security so that you know he loves you, he has your best. And every single day, even when it's the darkest moment of your life, he's there. Just call on his name. When you have no words, just say his name. Holy Spirit is all around us, and it will guide us Amen. if we ask it. Amen. God is a gentleman. You have to ask Amen. for his help. Amen. Let's bow our heads today for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this nation, for our veterans, for, for your mercies and your the way that you deal with us tenderly as we are broken individuals who cannot fathom your ways. We ask that you continue to work with us, to mold us, to make us into what you want us, having the security of knowing that you love us with the perfect love of the perfect Father. Wrap us in the warmth of your love as we go out into a cold world. Protect us, help guide us, and help soften us that we will listen to you and we will always keep our eyes fixed on the cross because we know you care and you are willing to die for us. May we be willing to live for you. I ask for everything, all your, all your grace, and everything that can go to go out about this church, to, to, to hedge these people as they go through their lives, that they will feel your presence in every moment and that they will continue to grow in you. Ask all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.